I can remember picking up my children when they were just babies and looking into their small, peaceful faces and thinking, well, you have no idea how good you really have it. Yeah, you wake up and cry and everybody comes running to take care of every need. The family is a slave to your needs. They feed you. They care for the other end. You have no idea how good you have made. No bills, no job, no, no one else to care for, no appointments. Then I figured out that really the whole life cycle was backwards. We have it all wrong. We ought to die first and get that out of the way. Then go on to an old folks home and stay there until you get too young to kick you out. Then you get that gold watch and start working for 40 years with that gold watch. Then when you have done working, you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You can graduate and go to college. You would not have to worry about school because you've already graduated first. Then you could become a kid and you can run and play and sleep. Everybody else takes care of you. Then you would end up your life floating around for nine months, finally finishing it all with it's a gleam in somebody's eye. Life just seems so backward. In our old family station wagon, we always had that extra seat in a fold-down well in the rear of the station wagon. It pops up for two smaller persons to sit in. But the seat faces backwards. So when you sit in that seat, you get a strange view of your trip. You keep seeing where you've been. You always see where you were, but never what's coming. And although the kids sometimes enjoyed the strange sensation, it would tend to make me sick or uncomfortable. I don't like taking a trip backwards. Life itself seems backward, though. Think about it for a moment. When you have enough money to buy a home large enough for a large family, your kids have all moved out. When you're wise enough to rear children, you are your own grown. Your own are grown, and you're personally too old to have any more. When you have experience enough of life to know that you need a good education, then our own formal training is completed. See, life really does seem backwards. So please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you today. Sadly, we Christians also live our lives backwards. We live in a world under the devil's control. Satan has control, and from the God's point of view, the whole world system is backward. Just look at Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So why is it that when we are thinking about success, we think of new cars, new styles of clothing, vacations, money, houses? Why is it that when we think of power, we think of outclimbing, outmanipulating, outsmarting, and outmaneuvering others? Why is it that when we think of prosperity, we're thinking of our positions and trophies and titles? Why is it that when we think of trouble, though, we resisted at all costs? 
In fact, we consider that an enemy. We allow trouble to make us bitter and resentful. So this morning, for a few moments, I would like to look carefully at the biblical answers to those four questions. What is success? What is power? What is prosperity? And what is trouble? So those four questions need biblical answers in a very backward world today. So number one, what is success? I would like to try you to try to answer according to God's thinking, though. Not according to the world's system. Our Lord would not say that success is ever money or cars or houses. So in your notes, write this down. Success is servanthood. In the biblical point of view, success is servanthood. Look at Matthew 20, where Matthew records the story to illustrate what God would teach us all about success. This is a story about the mother of James and John. Then the mothers of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons kneeling down, asking the favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Well, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink indeed from the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, we will indeed drink from that cup, you will, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they've been getting prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with those two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be what? Your servant. Whoever wants to be first must, must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So this mother of James and John... They want Jesus to give her boys a high place position. I want one on your right and one on your left. Now, this was a good Jewish mother. But the other ten disciples, they became angry, not because they were spiritual giants themselves, but probably because they thought they were going to be left out. They also were still seeking success in a backward world. When Jesus was in that upper room, remember, he took the basin, the towel, began to wash the disciples' feet. Well, that blew their minds that night. And Peter says, you're not going to do this to me. Peter was simply saying, now if I were you, Jesus, if I were you, if I was the head of this, these group of people here, if this is up to me, I would not be washing anybody's feet. See, to us, success is not what God teaches us what success is. In fact, if our Lord were here, he would tell each of us in your notes, write this down, success is obedience to God. Success is obeying God. That's what a faithful and successful servant does. 
So a good, good definition, success is obedience. And there's a poem that helps me to rethink some of my ideas about being successful. It's printed out for you in your notes. Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. Well, God pointed out a tiny spot and said, tend that place for me. Oh, I answered him quietly, no, no, not that. Well, I, why, no one would ever see. No matter how well my work was done, that's not a place, a little place for me. The word of God spoke then, wasn't stern. He just answered me very tenderly. Nazareth, it was a little place. So was Galilee. See, the nominating committee for our congregation every couple of years goes through an intense search for people to serve in leadership positions, officers, board members, special committees. They plan, they guide the many ministries of St. John. These are lay people who stand before the altar of God when they are commissioned to serve. And they pledge to serve their Lord Jesus in areas of responsibility. The congregation has implemented small group Bible studies also to help develop the spiritual growth of families and members to increase fellowship and support for those families, to increase opportunities for individuals and groups to joyfully serve their Lord and his church in a very backward world. Success is serving and obeying God and giving of our time, our talents, our spiritual gifts and with passionate service. True success is loving and caring and serving our Lord Jesus and his church in the place where we have been placed by God. So in question number two, we ask, what is power? God would tell us that the biblical answer in a backward world, power is what? Submission. Power is submission. Power is when we yield. If you want power, you do not scratch and climb and manipulate, slug it out with people to get to the top. If you want power, real power, then you must submit. You let go. Look at Acts 1, verse 8, just before Jesus ascended into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. These disciples, they were told to wait, just to let go, to submit. And the Holy Spirit would be given to them. See, the disciples did not need human power. They did not need man-made power, that grip my teeth power, do my very best. Give it 110% type of power. Jesus said, wait. Wait, and then I will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. That authentic power comes from waiting on Jesus. So I've noted five steps in authentic power in your notes. Step number one, admit your addiction to control. You must first admit your addiction to control. Everybody in the whole human race, just by their sinful nature, has a desire to control. We want to control our own lives. We want to control the lives of other people around us. Some attempts to control by like steamrollers. These people are trying to control by force. They run people over. 
Other people are pouters and they tend to seek control and manipulate in subtle ways. But they are also addicted to getting their own way. So step number two, you need to admit your own powerlessness. You admit your own powerlessness to change yourself. See, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, you cannot make a difference in God's kingdom. Without Jesus and his spirit, you cannot do anything of spiritual or eternal value. So we must admit our powerlessness. And number three, the third step to authentic power, surrender your control to God. Surrender your control issues to God. See, we need more than just admit that we cannot do it. We must let God use us. We must let God daily direct us through his word. One of the key thoughts of Bible classes is to teach each of us to guide the group in letting God direct our lives through his word. We must surrender to God. And number four, the fourth step is accepting the gifts of God. See, each Christian receives the power of the Holy Spirit. Each believer is given special gifts. And God pours out his spirit upon the church for that purpose. That we use the gifts and the talents for his purpose. And number five, the fifth step is authentic power. Attempt something you could not do without God. Once you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, then comes the challenge. You attempt something you could not do without God. And you get beyond your own human reliance. You move forward beyond your own wisdom, your own comfort zone. You attempt something you know that God wants you to be doing. So you move forward in a very backward world. Now the third question we're going to look at from God's point of view. Number three, what is prosperity? And God would teach us that prosperity, and you know, that's investing in eternity. God would tell us that if we want to be prosperous, don't invest in this life, in this earthly life. Rather, invest in the next life. And through your spiritual commitments and the use of your offerings, your time, your talents, your spiritual gifts, you become rich toward God. So what are you living for? What investments have you made for eternity? Or are you investing at all here? Where the Bible says thieves break in and steal. Rust eats up and moths chew up. I heard a St. Peter story. A rather successful rich man died and he went to heaven. And St. Peter there is taking him on a tour. Shows them some of the mansions where the people in heaven live. This rich man was really overwhelmed. He thought to himself, I have a great mansion on earth. But these are really, really great. Seeing one of extremely huge mansions, he asked, St. Peter, who lives there? Peter said, oh, you know him. He was your servant. He was a faithful Christian and served God poured himself into serving other people. He really invested in eternity. He even said yes to the nominating committee when they came asking him to serve. Just thought I'd make that more applicable. Well, the rich man then thought to himself, well, I can't wait to see my place. Around the corner they went, down an alley, 
It came to a one-room shack with no windows. St. Peter says, there it is. The rich man says, how come? My servant has such a big mansion, and I have such a small one. St. Peter said, I tell you, my friend, we did the best we could with what you sent on ahead. Investing in eternity, what are you sending on ahead? And finally, question number four, what is trouble? God wants to teach us the trouble that we have in our lives. In your notes, it's simply the fire that forges character. Trouble is the fire that forges our character. See, God says trouble is used to make us great people. In James 1, he writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Let me note here that very few people consider it pure joy to have troubles. Very few people call up the pastor and say, I need to come in, pastor, for an appointment and rejoice with you about all the troubles I'm having. Very few. See, our human nature dictates that we we want to run from our troubles. We want to get rid of our troubles. We try to get out of them. We complain about them. We get frustrated by them. But James is saying perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete. Chuck Colson, he writes, my life had been a perfect success story. It was the great American dream fulfilled. All at once I realized that it was not. All these successes that God would use to develop my character or even enable me to change, be a change agent to help other people, including those especially in prison. My life of success did not do what, nor did it prepare me for that. My real legacy for my life was my greatest failures. I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life for his kingdom work. See, God chose that one experience where I, Chuck Colson, could not have any personal glory, take no personal credit, in order to provide for himself and for his kingdom all the glory. Life is so backwards. We celebrate Bad Friday, the day the Son of God was crucified on the cross for our sins. And it was such injustice that the innocent should die for the guilty. But God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus teaches us how to go forward in a backward world. In your notes, Philip's paraphrase talks about warning us about this backward world. He writes, don't let the world in your notes squeeze you into its own molds. So what is success? It's servanthood. What is power? It's submission. What is prosperity? Investing in eternity. 
And what is trouble? It's the fire that forges our character. Amen.